You never know for sure, usually, um, as a preacher, of uh, what message to bring when, in what context, on what date, in what order. There's a little bit of feeling your way through. Preaching is an art and a science. It's a science in that there are parameters and, and um, things that need to be observed and, and it has structure. It's an art in how that is put together and how it's delivered. Um, I didn't know, I don't know that I had uncertainty, but I was wondering, I guess, about um, bringing this morning's message uh, today, starting that series today, or instead bringing uh, the se- uh, this message I'm going to share this evening, bringing that this morning. Um, I just uh, sensed a, a direction to do it the way I have, and, and so I'm believing that um, some of us, maybe many of us, need this message this evening. I believe we're here by divine appointment, and so I trust that all of our hearts will be open to it um, Tonight, I'm grateful for the parenting training uh, Pam and I received here that is training as parents uh, back in the late 80s. I think it was 88 or 89, uh, roughly something like that. We were in the the guinea pig group that met over at um, Bob and Joanne Malloy's house with a few other couples and how growing kids God's way literally helped uh, shape my children as Pam and I learned the importance of first time Obedience, first-time obedience, um, a new concept. Um, I, I never certainly had that uh, as I was growing up. Uh, I didn't have any time obedience if I didn't want to, unfortunately. And uh, Adam and Susie were were little at that time, four or five years old, something like that. And so uh, they kind of came into the world a little with a little bit of of child-centeredness. We didn't really recognize it um, to the degree that we came to recognize it. After taking growing, growing Kids God's Way and really plugging those principles uh, into our lives. And the principle basically can be summarized as if my child is able to obey instruction, then he or she must obey. I think one could generally say, Joe, Pam, are you comfortable with that? If the child can obey, if he or she is able to, then he or she must. And what that means is if the child is old enough to understand, if it's clearly, if the instruction is clearly given and it, and it is understood and heard and, um, and the child is in a position uh, physically or, or mentally or whatever it might be relative to understanding uh, and, and the child can obey. In other words, if all of that is a given, then the child is required to obey. Biblical obedience is always immediate and it's always complete. If it's biblical obedience, it's always immediate and it is always complete. Delayed obedience or incomplete obedience really is a misnomer. Misnomer. It's not obedience at all. It is disobedience. And so as a parent, if I tell my child one time, and he disobeys, then he has sinned. But if I tell my child to give an instruction, which is clearly understood and it's heard and it's, you know, it it can be followed. If I tell him or her twice, who's blown it? I am as the parent and I'm the one who needs to change. I have sinned because I've trained him or her that it is okay to disobey with impunity. In other words, you can get away with it and you can be happy doing so. Well, that's not the heart of God. And so this evening, 
I want us to consider a message on that, a message that I've titled The Audacity of disobedience. And we don't, I'm not going to use an overhead, but I am going to give you a few little uh, pointers on this. You know, thankfully, God is a better parent than any of us. He's the perfect father. And since he is our father and we're his children, since we know his will is always perfect and will only be blessed if we obey him, since we know he will always deal with us when we disobey It's really an outrageous thought to consider ever disobeying. It's audacious. The word audacious means brazen or unrestrained or uninhibited or presumptuous. Um, Audacity is being uh, inappropriately bold. It's being impulsive. It's really being reckless or wild. If someone is audacious... Um, It's someone who is just taking too much upon himself or herself. It's outrageous. It's impulsive, presumptuous behavior. Now, if you think about that scripturally, who's the most audacious believer that comes to your mind in scripture? Any particular person come to your mind as someone who is very presumptuous, someone who is too bold for his or her own good, someone who um, can be too uninhibited, can be too reckless. Any particular person come to mind? Peter, thank you. Well, you all know that immediately. That is precisely the case. The Apostle Peter, three times in the New Testament, Peter demonstrates the audacity of disobedience. And we can see that in mostly in his attitude, but where your heart is, that is, your attitude is, that's going to play out in practical living. So if you're taking notes, I'd like us to consider three particular points, and that is audacious preservation or, the, or self-preservation. How the audacity of self-preservation. Matthew chapter 16, if you look at Matthew 16, verses 13 through 23. If you're taking notes, Matthew 16, verses 13 through 23, the audacity of preserving self. Matthew 16, beginning in verse 13. When Jesus came into the borders of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples saying, who do men say that I, the son of man, am? And they said, Some say thou art John the Baptist, some Elijah, and others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. He saith unto them, But who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter answered and said, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered and said to him, Blessed art thou, Simon Bar-Jonah, or son of Jonah, for flesh and blood hath not revealed it unto thee, but my Father who is in heaven. And I say unto thee that thou art Peter and upon this rock I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And I will give unto thee the keys of the kingdom of heaven and whatsoever thou shalt bind on earth shall be bound in heaven and whatsoever thou shalt loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Then charged he his disciples that they should tell no man that he was Jesus the Christ. From that time forth began Jesus to show unto his disciples how he must go unto Jerusalem. And suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and be raised again the third day. Then Peter took him 
as it were, took him aside and began to rebuke him, saying, Be it far from thee, Lord, this shall not be unto thee. But he turned and said unto Peter, Get thee behind me, Satan. Thou art an offense unto me, for thou savorest not the things that are of God, but those that are of men. What could be more contradictory? What could be more schizophrenic, if you will, than to address Jesus as Lord, as Peter did here, and he did throughout the earthly ministry of Christ, address him as Lord, and in the very same breath, rebuke him. You see, Peter was focused on self-preservation much more than he was on knowing and following the will of God. And you might be thinking, and really I've even, I've even contemplated this. Would I ever be so audacious as to do that? Would I really ever actually um, rebuke the Lord? Well, maybe not in so many words, but whenever and if ever I put a limit to the, on the will of God in my own life, uh, in, in a very real sense, I'm doing that. I'm saying, not so, Lord, it's not going to happen. Far be it from that ever happening. I am preserving my own stuff. I am saying that um, I'm going to cut some kind of a deal. Lord, I'll commit to tithing if you'll increase my paycheck. Or maybe it'll be something like uh, uh, that I'm not going to fully commit to following you because after all, I can't trust you. You might send me to Africa or to Haiti or to New Guinea or something like that. Not so, Lord. And that's what Peter is doing here. You see, Peter had a pretty good thing going. He wasn't having to fish all the time anymore. He was in the uh, in a circle with and that was a, really a part of turning the world upside down. And not only that, he was part of the inner circle. I mean, he was the key guy. He was the go to guy for Jesus and later for the church. And yet Peter was afflicted with the re- the rebellion of self-preservation. Maybe you refuse to submit to your husband, ladies, or to your parents, young people, because you worry about losing your rights. You worry about losing your footing. Uh, And Peter is saying, hey, we've got a good thing going here, Jesus. You're the king. You're the one who came to uh, overthrow Rome and to set up your kingdom. You've talked about your kingdom many times. And I'm your right-hand guy. No, we're not going to the cross. No, we're not going to suffer. What are you saying? Not so, Lord. The audacity of doing something like that. And we're not talking about a pagan here. Not talking about heathen. Talking about the apostle Peter, who had walked with Jesus and been with him and was committed to him. He had just delivered the clearest public testimony of Christ the world had ever heard in verse 16. He said, and Peter was, Peter meant it. He jumped right up when Jesus said, okay, I want to hear a testimony of what you're, what's the scuttlebutt on what folks are saying about me. What do you think about me? And Peter says, hey, I want to answer. I can answer that one from the depth of my heart. You're the Christ. You're the son of the living God. You're the one, you're Messiah. You're the anointed one. You are the savior, the redeemer. And that's why I've committed to you. I mean, Peter was genuine. And yet he had a hint of self-preservation, even uh, that he likely didn't even see. And he rebuked the, uh, the, the Lord himself, even though he had been given this divinely delivered insight into who Christ was and what he would would do. Peter opted to resist and to rebuke instead of to trust and to obey. He wanted to preserve what he had. 
You know, it really only adds to Peter's guilt. Look at verse 16. Thou art the Christ, the son of the living God. He is saying you are God in the flesh. It's only adding to the audaciousness of his guilt when he has in his mind, Christ is the king, yet how quick he was to resist and to rebuke. Do you recognize the lordship of Christ in your life, Red Bridger? Think about that. Do you, do you, have you really embraced the lordship of Christ? He is the sovereign. He is the ruler. I'm not. I'm the subject. I'm the follower. I'm the child. He's the father. He is the shepherd. I'm one of the sheep. Is that true in your life? How audacious it is to say, not so, Lord. It's schizophrenic. It doesn't make any sense to do something like that. And so verses 24 and 25 is a fitting follow-up. You see, when Jesus is dealing with someone who is weak, when he's dealing with a weak person, when, when he's not dealing with a rebellious spirit, he is very kind and gentle. He is the comforting, uh, gentle shepherd. But when he is dealing with a rebellious spirit, as certainly that's the case here, he is very quick to rebuke. And look what happened in verse uh, 23. He says, get thee behind me, saying, you're an offense unto me. It wasn't that Peter was lost. It was that he was opting to preserve his own place in what was going on. Jesus recognized that. Jesus saw right to his heart. Look at verse 24. Then Jesus said unto his disciples, if any man, because they heard what happened. They, you know, Peter was, you know, he just jumped right up and they heard what was going on. So Jesus cleared it all up. If you will want to come after me, you're going to need to deny yourself. Take up your cross and follow me for whosoever will save your life. If you're going to try to preserve the stuff, you're going to lose everything. But on the other hand, if you'll lose your life, if you'll not try to, to preserve everything that you have or anything that you have, then you're going to ultimately find real life, abundant life. If you try to save the stuff, it's just going to fizzle away. It's going to just uh, flake away and fall away from you. But if you give it away and you give yourself to him, that's when you're going to find life. Many of us remember the wonderful saint, Mamie Cahoon, I remember Mamie Cahoon went home to be with the Lord many years ago. She was a, a, a missionary wife in Brazil. Husband uh, left her uh, and, and, and went off in, and lived, um, I guess, unfaithfully for decades to follow. And she remained faithful to the Lord and, and raised her children. And, and we know Paul Cahoon was a part of this church for, for years. And, and Mamie went home to be with the Lord a number of years ago following a battle with cancer. Mark Saylor reminded me the other day of what Mamie told me the last time I visited her in her home, just days before she went home to be with the Lord. I said to her and Mamie, and this was an open conversation. She knew that she would go home to be with the Lord any day. And I knew it. And we were talking openly about it. As a matter of fact, we might have even even been discussing the funeral. I'm kind of thinking that we were. And I said, Mamie, what Final word do you have for God's people at Redbridge that I can share with them as your as your, your your dying words, your final words before you leave this world? And she she thought 
And and she had very clear thinking. Her body was very weak and very frail, but she was able to respond with great conviction, with earnestness. And this is a quote. Tell them, obey God immediately. Obey God immediately. Don't be so audacious as to say, I'm going to save this and I'm going to save my time and talents and treasure and I'm not going to risk this or the other thing. That's what Peter was doing. And Jesus said, get thee behind me, Satan. You are an offense to me. If you want to follow me, you better strap that cross on and it better cost you and count for something because the way of the Christian life as C.S. Lewis would write, scratch as, as John Bunyan would write, is a hard way. And that's what was being taught in this text. Secondly, of these three audacious examples of disobedience in John chapter 13. John chapter 13. He had the audacity... Peter did of trying to preserve self. And then we see audacious pride, audacious pride in John chapter 13. Are you trying to save the stuff or are you a drink offering ready to be spilled out, poured out? Pride is another area. And Peter was afflicted and allowed himself to be. In John 13, verses 1 through 16. Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour was come, that he should depart out of this world unto the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them unto the end. And supper being ended, the devil, having now put into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he was come from God and went to God, he riseth from supper and laid aside his garments and took a towel and girded himself. After that, he put uh, he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel uh, with which he was girded. Then cometh he to Simon Peter, and Peter saith unto him, Lord, dost thou wash my feet? Jesus answered and said unto him, What I do thou knowest not now, but thou shalt know hereafter. Peter saith unto him, Thou shalt never wash my feet. Jesus answered, If I wash thee not, thou hast no part with me. Simon Peter saith unto him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. Jesus saith unto him, He that is washed needeth not except to wash his feet, but is entirely clean. And you are clean, but not all of you. For he knew who should betray him. Therefore said he, You are not all clean. So after he had washed their feet and taken his garments and was seated again, he said unto them, Know ye what I have done to you? You call me Master and Lord, and you say, Well, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and Master, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you should do as I have done to you. Verily, verily, I say unto you, The servant is not greater than his Lord, neither he that is sent greater than than he that sent him. Again, Peter um, is saying here, not so, Lord. You're not going to do this to me, Lord. This text is many months, maybe even a year or so, following the previous audacious outburst. And apparently, Peter was gaining an understanding that Jesus was going to be sacrificed. Okay, I'm going to release that idea of trying to preserve everything. 
He's going to the cross and I'm still going to faithfully follow him. He is the lamb of God who, who uh, takes away the sin of the world, John 1, 29. And I understand that. And so the issue here was not preservation. The issue was pride. And what's amazing is that Jesus wasn't telling Peter to stoop down at this point, to stoop down and wash the filthy feet of other people. He said, you're not going to really understand what I'm doing now, but you'll understand later. He wasn't saying to Peter at this point, I want you to be the lowly servant right now and do this. He wasn't saying that. He was saying, I'm going to be the lowly servant. I'm going to be the one who, who humbles myself and gives you that example. Jesus set the example of humility because this menial task was reserved for the most lowly servant. It wasn't something a leader ought to be doing. And so when Peter said this, he says, you're the Lord, you're the king, you're the ruler. You're the eternal one. And someone as great and lofty as you doesn't have any business doing what you're doing. And so the pride in his heart, even though Jesus had was the picture of care and concern, the pride in his heart said, not so, Lord. What about you? Is there some task? Is there something that God is wanting you to do, either to give or to receive? That there's some block in there that says you're too good for this. Uh, you're not. Uh, um, you're not right for. You know. I think of. Um, I even think of. You know. An example that comes to mind has to do with um, serving in extended care in the nursery. Uh, I've I've actually heard folks many times either say or suggest. I've. I've done my time. When my kids were young, I did a rotation in the nursery and now I'm 50 and I'm free and I can do this other thing. And maybe God doesn't want you doing that. But why doesn't he want you to do it? If it is because of pride, the audacity of that. When Jesus, the king in, in human form says, let me show you what serving is all about. And he bowed before the sinful, filthy feet of travelers and washed them, not looking for any accolades, but to say, this is what it means to be a servant. The audacity of pride that will always resist the grace of God. For God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. When we're offended by others, when we're hurt, when we're, when we're looked over, when we're bypassed, pride will resist and will reject the comforting grace of God. When we're tempted and we, uh, we need a help in this, pride will say, no, I'm not going to uh, share my weakness because after all, what would somebody think of me? And on and on how pride just uh, limits and even, even um, renders invalid the grace of God in my life. Pride quietly says, Lord, I know better than you. In this situation, it's audacious. It's, um, it's disobedience when he says, this is what you're to be about. Thirdly, in Acts chapter 10, in the book of Acts chapter 10, again, Peter is caught saying, not so, Lord. And the audacity of doing something such as that. Acts 
10, beginning in verse 9. Acts 10 and verse 9. On the next day, as they went on their journey and drew near unto the city, Peter went up upon the housetop to pray about the sixth hour. And he became very hungry and would have eaten. But while they were making ready, he fell into a trance. Wow. It's almost like reading my Sunday afternoon mail. And saw heaven opened and a certain vessel descending unto him as it had been a great sheet knit at the four corners and let down to the earth in which were all manner of four footed beasts of the earth and wild beasts and creeping things and fowls of the air. And there came a voice to him, rise, Peter, kill and eat. But Peter said, not so, Lord, for I have never eaten anything that is common or unclean. And the voice spoke unto him again the second time, what God hath cleansed, that call not thou common. This was done thrice, and the vessel was received up again into heaven. Now, while Peter was perplexed, what this vision which he had seen should mean, behold, the men who were sent from Cornelius had made inquiry for Simon's house and stood before the gate and called and asked whether Simon, who was surnamed Peter, was lodged there. While Peter thought on the vision, the spirit said unto him, behold, three men seek thee. Arise, therefore, and get thee down and go with them, doubting nothing, for I have sent them. Then Peter went down to the men who were sent unto him from Cornelius and said, behold, I am he whom you seek. What is the cause for which you are come? And they said, Cornelius, the centurion, a righteous man and one that feareth God and of good report among all the nation of the Jews was warned from God by an holy angel to send for thee into his house and to hear words of thee. Then called he them in and lodged them. And on the next day, Peter went with them and certain brethren from Joppa accompanied him and they went and shared with Cornelius. Pay attention to how audacious, how brazen and resistant and rebellious uh, this kind of a heart can be. Peter, what was he doing? What was he doing in this situation? He was waiting for lunch to be made. And so it says in verse nine that he, uh, as he was on his journey, he went upon the housetop. That is, he went up to the top floor to pray. He was going to spend uh, that time praying, uh, crying out to God to save more souls, to use him in the ministry, that he would also lead the church, that he would be effective in evangelism and in discipleship. He was, uh, he was the leader. He was the kingpin. I mean, Peter was the go-to guy for the church. And he knew of his dependence on God and how he needed the Lord to be very much near his heart. So he pulled aside to spend time in concentrated prayer. He'd been living out the will of God with incredible fruitfulness, baptized in the spirit on the day of Pentecost, preached and the church uh, grew, uh, started with 3000 uh, believers and, and then grew and grew and grew. Uh, he, uh, he helped lead the church through its first cl- conflict and the early days of persecution and on and on and on. He, and he heard the voice of the Lord giving him instruction yet again. And one would think that it wouldn't have mattered what the instruction was by now. You would, you would have thought that even like Abraham received the instruction to go and sacrifice Isaac, that Peter also would trust and obey. But not so, for the instruction cut right through his tough veneer. You see, it didn't deal with preservation of his own life and all the goodies that he had. It didn't deal with pride, thinking he was better uh, than what God wanted him to do. This had to do with the third audacious point of disobedience, prejudice. And prejudice was very deep. A prejudiced heart 
was deeply rooted in Peter. You see, Peter thought he knew better than the Lord about who should receive the gospel. Um, Peter, I want you to get up and I want you to go and eat that, that food that I have provided. You're hungry. You're waiting for your lunch. And in that vision, in that trance, God let down every kind of food. Arise, Peter, and eat. Not so, Lord. What are you saying? That's unclean. And he was teaching him that there was something in his heart that was the item that was unclean. You see, Peter was a proud Jew by birth, and he took the gospel into the Roman Empire all the way to Caesarea. But he was coming across a part of his heart that was occupied with prejudice because he was going to be called to go and take the gospel to Cornelius. Not only a Gentile, but a Roman soldier. One who was head of a group of soldiers in Caesarea, the headquarters for Rome in our area. Folks, it would be like a a foreign nation invading um, this country and setting up shop at Whiteman Air Force Base, taking over all of our uh, machinery of war and calling it their own. And if any of you all say anything about it, We're going to pistol whip you, throw you in the dungeon, and then probably shoot you at sunrise. It was that kind of a situation. And God is saying to him, that's the one I want you to win. Not just any Gentile, not just any Roman, but the leader of the army of the occupiers in our land. Peter, are you up for it? Not so, Lord. I've heard it said, and I believe it to a great degree, that Sunday morning is the most segregated time of the week in our culture. That is black and white primarily, segregated, apart from one another. And if it's only an issue of geography, that is, you attend in your local church because this is where you live, and and these folks attend at their local church because they, they live close by there, that's fine. If it's only an issue of methodology, that is... Our style, our preferences are this way and therefore this is where we best fit in and this other place is where someone else best fits in. That's fine too. God didn't create cookie cutter people. He allows us to have cultural differences and stylistic differences and that's all well and good. But if the issue among Bible-believing Christians that staying with our own race is good and experiencing worship and fellowship with a different race is bad simply because of the racial distinction, then shame on us and shame on them for being that way. Because God said to Peter, shame on you for saying not so. Lord, it doesn't just have to be a black, white or Hispanic or Oriental. It could be be over any other kinds of lines. It might be a socioeconomic level. It might be an an educational level. Or maybe maybe the litmus test has to do with how you educate your children or or, um, what types of recreation you have that are are not uh, moral issues or whatever it might be. We can cause all kinds of barriers to rise uh, if we'll allow ourselves. Think about this. In Genesis chapter 10 and 11, don't turn to it. But Genesis chapter 10 and 11 gives rise 
to the lines of, of the human race. The Jews who were saved in Acts chapter 2 were from the descendants of Shem. Genesis 10, 21, you can research that. These are sons of Noah from Shem. The Ethiopian eunuch, the black African, in other words, in Acts chapter 8, was a descendant of Ham. Genesis 10, 9. Cornelius, here in this text, a Gentile, was a descendant of Japheth. Genesis 10, verses 2 through 5. In other words, folks, God is in the soul-saving business, and it doesn't matter black or white or Oriental or Hispanic or Jew or Gentile or rich or poor, young or old or male or female. God isn't a respecter of persons, nor should we be. The audacity of saying, I deserve the gospel, but you don't. It's ludicrous. And maybe, like me, you would never say, Oh, yeah, I think that's right. I think, I think uh, there's certain folks who, who really ought not uh, uh, get saved. They're, not, they're too bad. They're too evil to get saved or whatever. Maybe you would not say that. But maybe it's, it manifests itself not in what you do, but in what you don't do. Did you hear that? In who, with whom you will not share. Or you will not be open to. Or I'm not going to go to that area. Or I'm not going to talk to this person on the work, in the workplace. Or I'm not going to be seen hanging with that particular kid at school. Because after all, it may, be, it may give me uh, a name of uh, I just don't measure up. And I can't handle that in front of others. So is there a problem with trying to preserve what you have, your life, your money, your whatever. Jesus says, that needs to be poured out. You need to take up the cross and follow me. Is it an issue of pride? I'm not going to do that because I'm not going to humble myself. Is it an issue of prejudice? There's some folks with whom I really do not want uh, to be involved. You know, the Lord didn't let Peter rest in his disobedience. Each time Peter saw the error of his way as the Lord rebuked him. And we would do well to be convinced that the audacity of disobedience is a losing proposition. In closing, the audacity of disobedience to say, not so, Lord. You're my Lord, but I'm not obeying. It's outrageous. It doesn't make any sense. It is um, really the epitome of rebellion, even though it may not come out from us actually stated that way. Check in your heart. I have in mind, I, I, really, I really don't want to, I, I want to preach with integrity. And I need to know where is my heart in this? Am I trying to save the stuff? Am I not willing to go here, go there, give this or the other thing? Is there a point of pride where I'm not going to stoop and do that particular thing, even though I'm certain God wants me to? I would say, not so, Lord, not for me. I'm too good for that. Is there a demographic, a people group, a type of person that uh, I would say, you'll have to get the gospel somewhere else. 
the audacity of saying, not so, Lord. You would never, none of us, I'm I'm just sure, none of us. Similarly, because we're just not as impulsive as, as Peter. I'm about as impulsive as you get. And I've never heard myself saying, not so, Lord. But I've sure seen myself acting that way from time to time. I've sure had uh, that, uh, that uh, sense about me uh, wanting to well up and said, I can, folks, I can, I can honestly remember um, back uh, in the uh, mid-90s, 10, 12 years ago, and Webb Chenault would come here for a missions conference. You know, sometimes you hate missions conferences, don't you? And I'd think, I, I thought to myself, Webb, I'm glad you're doing this, but, um, you know, down in Haiti, lions and tigers and bears, oh my. Uh, don't, don't go for the rats, don't go for tarantulas, really. Not interested in dysentery, really not a big fan of malaria. Um... So maybe someone else would be called. And wouldn't you know it, God would move on the hearts of Bill and Jennifer, who would call me first. Ought we to do this, Pastor? Well, sure sounds like, looks like the handwriting's on the wall. God wants you to. Well, you go with us and let's scout it out. Okay, yeah. That'd be right up my alley. Well, it costs a lot of money. I don't know that uh, I have. Well, the church wants to pay your way to go. Hmm. Okay. Hmm. Pam, you think? Oh, sure. Yeah, this sounds like God's opening this door. You hear what I'm saying about the audacity of saying, not so, Lord. It's futile. It's a losing proposition. It's much better to say with Daniel, yeah, you're going to throw me in the lion's den. I can see that. And however this is going to play out in God's will, I guess we'll find out. Not particularly interested in doing that, but I'm going to do it if you're saying I have to violate the will of God. So here we go. And he did. uh, And the rest is Young people, don't say history. The rest is his story in my life, in Daniel's life, in your life. Lord, I'm thankful for your word.